And welcome back to Modern Survivability. Think fast, think accurate. On this first episode of Season 2, we're going to be talking about communications, so stay tuned. Thanks for joining us for this uh, first cast of Season 2 and of uh, 2024. We covered a ton of information in Season 1 from basic survival topics to bug out bags and some gear reviews. In this season, we're going to start doing some deep diving into some more technical topics, um, as well as looking at some often overlooked subjects. So on this first one, one of the things we're going to do is one of those overlooked subjects, I feel, and that's talking about uh, different types of communication in a survival situation. Communications is one of the most important and, like I said, overlooked aspects of any situation, much less a survival situation. Being able to get in touch with your loved ones, your teammates, and or some sort of, uh, I don't know, emergency services is crucial in desperate times. Reaching out and getting a more prompt response uh, can literally be the difference between life and death. Almost everything we do in our daily life has a communication aspect to it, from making a phone call to checking your social media or, I don't know, ordering your lunch on your, your phone. Um, modern devices allow communication across long distances instantaneously. Now, in years past, that would have taken days, weeks, months, or, I don't know, even years in some uh, you know aspects, depending on how far we go back. When we dive into the subject of survival communication, uh, we're going to hit on some of the areas not typically discussed outside of the you know small circles of people already in the survival mindset. First and foremost, um, let's talk about your smartphone. It has a ton of capabilities, besides your normal phone call, of course. Um, it has the ability to text message, which in and of itself is kind of unique in that text messages can sometimes get through when your phone calls can't. Obviously, during this disaster, when all the circuits are getting too overloaded for you know phone calls and things like that, sometimes messages may get through. Um, we've seen this happen time and time again in recent disasters, and it proves the point. So next is the ability to use the different apps on your phone to help in the communication process. These can be your apps that are text message-based of which there are a ton out there and really too numerous to list. Um, some are set up with a push-to-talk feature, kind of like a walkie-talkie, but on your phone. Um, and some of them work really well. I've used a couple of them, um, and some of them don't. So, And they might work when other things fail. Um, you know, it kind of depends on the situation, but it's worth knowing how to use these things. Uh, if you're trying to stay in contact with multiple people, Try some of these out and see if they work for you, maybe for your group or like a family kind of thing going on without actually having to push a phone call out. You can do the, the push-to-talk messaging um, app. And like I said, there's lots of them out there. And see if it works for you and your group. Next, let's talk about some short-range, simple communication things that you can do um, for your family or your group. The first we're going to talk about is your basic FRS radio or your what everybody calls a walkie-talkie. Now, you can get these, you know, from Walmart, Amazon, Academy, you name it. A lot of places sell walkie-talkies. 
Uh, they're super, really, really super simple to use. And like I said, they can be purchased anywhere. Make sure that you have at least one for everyone in your family or your group. And also make sure that you practice with them on a regular basis. Uh, especially with kids and stuff like that, you can kind of make it like a fun game being able to talk with a walkie-talkie because kids are kids, right? So it gives them something to do, and it builds up their skills on how to use a radio. Just make sure you practice with them and you get proficient on how they operate and what their limits are. Now, I've been using different versions of these things for years with pretty pretty decent success. I personally use a version of a uh, Motorola called a walkabout, uh, or walkabout, a talkabout, I believe is what it's called. And it has an advertised range of, I think it's 26 miles, although um, that is under the most amazing atmospheric conditions and the best location placement ever, like on top of two mountaintops that you can see each other, you know, 26 miles away. Um, however, um, more realistically, it's, it's all based off line of sight anyway, radios are. So a small radio like that, you're only going to get maybe a mile, maybe a two miles out of it under normal circumstances with limited obstructions between you and the person you're trying to communicate with. Um, so communication with any kind of radios, like I said, is based off line of sight. So if you're on two mountaintops trying to talk to each other and you can see each other from a long ways off and there's no obstructions, you're going to get better range out of those radios. It's also based off how much power that the radio pushes. Now, FRS radios are your basic walkie-talkies on your basic FRS channel, which stands for fam uh, Family Radio System, are limited in the amount of wattage they can push. And based off the amount of wattage they can push, that limits the distance they can talk. So that's something to keep in mind. When they talk about an advertised range of 26 miles on those particular radios, that I have is because those particular radios also have um, what we're going to be talking about next, which is GMRS radios. Um, they have GMRS channels. When you switch to some of those channels, it changes the wattage on the radio. It bumps the wattage up a little bit, and it can push out further. So we'll talk about those in just a second, though. Um, however, um, these particular radios I got, they're pretty indestructible. They're waterproof, and they float. So if you're kayaking, if you're fishing... Uh, if you're doing some camping or something like that, basic hiking and things, a good set of walkie-talkies are always great to have because um, normally you're never going to be that far away from somebody that one of those walkie-talkies really can't get in touch with. And uh, to top that off, you can always move to higher ground and get a better signal. So just keep that in mind. Also, FRS radios do not require a license to operate. So something to think about. Next on the list are GMRS radios. Now, some of your FRS radios have GMRS channels on them. Um, that You do require a license to broadcast on those channels. You can listen to them with no license, however, to use them. And to use them correctly, you are required a license from the FCC. So I think it costs, uh, when I bought mine, it was $35 and it lasts for 10 years. There's no test required to take it. You just go to the FCC website. Pay your money, get your call sign, and you're good to go. Um, that way you can use some of those channels. And like I said, your, your big difference between your GMRS radio and your FRS is the amount of watts pushed. And the amount of watts equals distance. GMRS radios can talk a lot further out. So excuse me. whenever you go to 
buy one of these and it and it advertises, hey, these walkie talkies can go out to like thirty miles or something like that. That's using the GMRS channels. That's not using your FRS. So if you do want to talk on those channels legally anyway, um, you do are required to get that license. So another thing to think about too is a lot of people nowadays are switching, uh, especially like your truck drivers, um, people that like to off road a lot. Um, I'm one of them where you would people in Pat, the past would use a CB radio. They're really, really hard to find nowadays, but they still sell, um, are switching to GMRS radios. They get their license and they switch to these for one. You have more functionality on your radio. It does a lot more things and you have a crisper, uh, signal, a better signal. And the signal pushes out a lot further in a small package because most CBs, if you'd go to look at them, they're pretty bulky in their packaging. Uh, most GMRS radios nowadays are pretty small. So, uh, especially in the off-road community, it's it's hit kind of hard here in the past, I'd say maybe 10 years or so. It's Everybody used to have CBs. Now it's pushed over to GMRS radios. One of the big ones is like your Midland um, GMRS radios, your 275s, 575s, and things like that, and they push up to 50 watts. So you can reach out and be able to communicate with somebody. Um and like I said, there's tons of other features on GMRS radios. So there are also different types of GMRS radios. Now we have your handhelds that look similar to your walkie-talkies, and you also have your mobile units, which are which are normally mounted in a vehicle. I personally use both of them. Um, sometimes the handheld works better if you have to get out and do something. You take a handheld with you and still communicate back to the vehicle that has one mounted in said vehicle. Um, there's also different other other things we're going to talk about in a minute when it comes to accessories for some of these radios. So now that we've talked about FRS, your GMRS, um, now we're going to move on to the next one. And your next one is going to be your ham radios. Okay? So basically amateur radio, what everybody calls ham radio, um, amateur radio has been around for a long time. There are tons of people all around the world that use them every single day. After a little bit of study, you can go take a test um, and get your basic technician's license. Um, the FCC will assign you a call sign, and as soon as you see it show up in their system, then you can start transmitting. Um, it's pretty simple. Um, there are ham radios all over the place. You would not believe the places that amateur radio um, comes in. So... Now, from a survival standpoint, um, this allows you, the ham radio, this allows you to be able to talk over really great distances uh, when your cell phones fail and, you know, FRS ain't going to reach out there. Your GMRS probably isn't going to reach out there. Um, these radios, unlike the other radios we were talking about, um, they, you can push a lot more power with these things. They, they have a huge spectrum that you can talk on as far as frequencies go. And that's something you'll learn whenever you go to study to take your test is what frequencies you can use and which ones you can't, uh, depending on which kind of license you have. Because with ham radios, there's three different types of licenses you can have from your basic technician all the way up to your, I believe it's called your uh, amateur extra, I believe is what it is. Somebody out there, if I'm wrong, correct me on it because I don't have it sitting right here in front of me. But there's three different types. Uh, depending on which license you get, depends on uh, who will give you different privileges on different frequencies and what you can and can't do. 
Um, but as long as you have a basic understanding on how they work, you got a license and you got some time, um, get some good training on them and get your radio and get out there and start transmitting, right? Uh, meet other people in the area that also are ham operators and learn from them. Get some tips, tricks, and you know some basic help on getting to know your system and how it operates, what its limits are, um, how far you can talk out to somebody, um, how to you know just dial it in perfect. That way, during an actual survival situation, you don't have to do the training; it's already done, and you can communicate long distances. People talk all over the world with ham radios, so it's something to look at. Now, as far as GMRS radios and ham radios go, one thing that they use that FRS does not use is a thing called a repeater, right? Uh, repeaters are a device that are normally put up on water towers, tall objects, antennas, cell phone towers, things like that, top of buildings that are really tall. And what they do is they bring the signal, your excuse me, your signal in on one frequency and they push it out on another one. They basically... Boost your signal down the line is a, is an easy way to look at it without getting super technical on it. Um, that allows you with a small handheld device to talk to somebody maybe in another state. Who knows, right? Long distance. And it works the same way with your big uh, radio stations that you would have or your radio, uh, big ham radios you would have at your home, at your home station. You'd be able to transmit to other parts of the world uh, if you're using the right repeaters and... Um, some other uh, technical things <laughs> that go into these uh, communication platforms. It's just something to look at. If you're interested in it, you know, just do a quick, some quick research on it. Uh, look at a couple of books. Do some, watch some YouTube videos on basically how it works. I'm not going to dive into how that works uh, in this particular cast, um, but I'm just going to put it out there as it is a way to communicate in a survival situation. Being proficient in the use of these radios is going to be the biggest, one of one of the biggest assets in a grid down or a SHTF situation. So keep that in mind, right? Now let's get into the types of these radios. And there are several kinds of radios uh, out there from your handhelds to your mobile radios, which are in cars or vehicles, uh, to your home stations. First, let's hit on the handhelds. Now I'm not going to go over each manufacturer model and all that thing just a, a general overview of the different types of these radios that we're talking about when it comes to ham radios so first we're going to be talking about the handhelds uh, these types are becoming prevalent really prevalent in the survival community and uh, in some other communities now mainly because they're cheap they're easy to transport um, obviously because you can clip it on your belt put it in a backpack you know walk around with it or whatever um, and some of these have a pretty decent range without a repeater. Um, and some of them are waterproof. There's, like I said, many different manufacturers to choose from. Just do your research and choose the one that's best for you. Now, price range, they can go anywhere from $35 up. Uh, just depends on what you want to buy. Now, next are the mobile stations. Now, these are generally bigger. They push more watts, so it increases the range of the radio. And they have more features to help you with your communications, depending on what you're using it for. Now, just like anything else, there's always a ton of them on the market uh, to fit everybody's needs. Now, depending on what kind of vehicle you're in um, and where you have to mount um, this radio, might depend on what kind you get. Because some of them have a removable uh, faceplate that can be remote mounted, like on a dashboard and a cup holder, 
you name it. And then the actual radio can go under the seat, under the back seat, or be hidden away from view. So your mobile ones are where the prices start to kind of really increase and the functionality of them start to really increase with lots of uh, extra abilities when it comes to radios. Now, many of the storm spotters during storm, uh, storm season around here, I'm one of them, um, use ham radios to call in reports uh, to officials and relay information to other spotters. And this uh, helps get the warnings out, uh, increases uh, spotter safety, public safety, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so when we're talking about mobile ham radios, um, you might see somebody driving around that has a bunch of antennas that look random <laughs> on their vehicle. Um, most of the time it's just normally one or two and they'll have what looks like a call sign uh, on their window or the license plate or something like that. And generally that person has a ham radio in there. So um, now moving along to the home stations. Um, these are generally the, the bigger radios. Um, they have some, some people have huge antenna arrays outside their house and normally you can see them. They're normally pretty large uh, and they're able to reach long distances. Um, and that's generally because they have more power, better antennas, so on and so forth. Now, if you already have a bug out location, you could definitely have a small space set off to the side in one of your rooms. Uh, maybe place a small desk or something like that to get some radio equipment in there and get it up and running to have in case of an emergency. Now, to top all this off, we need to discuss being able to maintain these radios because in a grid down situation you ain't going to be able to call nobody out to come fix this stuff or be able to take it somewhere and get it fixed um, no matter the type it's be it a, ha a handheld a mobile a home station or whatever you need to have some extra parts some batteries maybe some parts for your antennas some extra antennas different ways to make antennas um, and also have a way to charge the batteries from the handhelds and ways to power your home station even if the grid goes down you're still going to need a way uh, to keep these things up and running on top of all of those things is the knowledge to use and repair the specific radios you have. Make sure you're testing out all the respective functions depending on which radio system you're using, be it a handheld, a mobile, or a home station. Um, also, make sure everyone in your family or your group knows these things too. Now, everyone doesn't need to know how to tear it apart and put it back together, but if you're going to be in a group or your family is survival-minded like that, they need to be able to, and you're going to have radios for everybody, they need to know the functions of said radios that, they're, that they have. Be it an FRS radio all the way up to a ham radio. So now that we've hit on your different types of radios and, you know, some of the cell phone communication abilities, uh, let's talk about some other ways to communicate during a survival situation. First and foremost is obviously in person. However, during an event, it may be hard to link up with the person you're trying to communicate with. So, ahead of time, it would be a great idea to come up with a good comms plan to include times and places for a meetup should the electronic means fail. And, I mean, it really could be as simple as letting somebody know, hey, you know, when things happen, we're going to meet at the by the silo on that old abandoned farm on the first Monday after the event at 2 a.m. Then from there... Um, you know, different location and time can be decided on. Just don't set a pattern. People are creatures of habit. Do not make it easy for a bad guy to figure out what's going on. If you're going there at the same time, same place, you know, every week, somebody's going to catch on to that. It doesn't take a lot, um, especially if it's at an odd time or an odd place and somebody just happens to be passing by. 
it's going to pique their curiosity. And you're already in a tense situation anyway. So just make sure that whatever plan you make, keep it simple. Uh, if you overcomplicate things, they're not going to work during a high-stress event. Now, a few things to remember for an in-person meet. First, you should know who you're meeting. Second is to have a challenging password. I know it seems kind of that overcomplicated I just talked about, but it's really not. It's one of the simplest things ever. You know, that way you can verify um, you are indeed meeting the right person. I mean, it's it's kind of simple. It really is. And the way that works is, if for those of you not familiar with Challenger Password, it's kind of a military thing. Um, the way that works is you would come up with a, both people, both sides would know the challenge, the password. And the way it normally works is you would come up and you would use the challenge word in a sentence, right? That person would respond in kind with the password in another sentence. You just don't say the challenge and you just don't say the password. Um, something would be like, because you know we were meeting by the silo on the old farm, right? So your challenge could be something like, challenge could challenge word could be potatoes, for instance. And a sentence could be, you know, I believe they used to grow potatoes on this farm. Well, the password for this example could be shovel, right? And a sentence for that would be, I don't know, I'm not sure, but we can get a shovel and see. Now, right there, you said the challenge and the password. Both people have confirmed that they're talking who they need to be talking to. And now you can get down to business. And that can literally, that has to be the beginning of the interaction. Now that you determined it's safe to talk, now you can do your business, right? There should also be a distress word. Um, that way, if that is used at the onset of any interaction, the other party knows there's been a compromise and they need to leave immediately, right? Just a little something to think about. A few more tidbits uh, of information about these meetups. One is you never come alone. That doesn't mean you walk out to the place with a whole group of people, but also always have somebody watching your back, right? Maybe from a distance or overwatch position or something like that. Never come unarmed. That would be a horrible mistake. Even if you know the person you're coming, never come unarmed and never leave the same way you came. Um, all this, are, are just, they're just basic security things, right? And it helps you keep that interaction secure as it can be. Um, now, we're going to hit on some of those things later uh, later on in the season in a cast that's going to be on tactics when it comes to some of these things. So I'm not going to deep dive those right now, but we are going to be doing a, a cast on tactics uh, later on the season. So. Uh, we'll hit on that then. Next, uh, if you can't do a in-person meeting, using something like a dead drop might work. Well, what is a dead drop, you might ask? Basically, you would conceal a note or a message in a piece of trash, debris, or hidden under or in or around an object that you know where and the other person knows where you're going to do it at, and then you leave. The second party comes along and retrieves the message, and then they leave. It's really, really simple. However, if someone follows you, you and the message can be intercepted. So keep that in mind. Don't be super, super obvious when you're delivering or retrieving the message. Um, try not to do it in the middle of the day. And if you do it at night, don't be bumping around with a flashlight looking for it because that's going to get you noticed real quick. Another way to communicate with others in dire times has been, um, and is still used, um, has been over the years and is still being used today in different places around the world in different uh, contexts. 
My dad's using like a flag, a cloth, or other like item hung on a window, the side of a house, a fence, on a vehicle, uh, on their person um, to communicate a certain thing to another group of people. Uh, one example would be the Underground Railroad. Although um, it is highly disputed that during these times, uh, escaped slaves making their way north would often look for symbols on quilts. Now, there's a lot of people that say it doesn't ha- didn't happen, it's kind of folklore, but in and of itself, um, you know, they would look at these quilts that were hung up on fences to help aid them in, you know, getting to, to freedom, right? Most people, most scholars and things like that say that it's just folklore and it didn't happen. Whether it's true or not, okay, got it. However, it's kind of a good idea. Um, it seems like a plausible idea to do um, in dire times something or something similar to it. Also throughout history, we have seen uh, communication with flags, like, for instance, during the Civil War, uh, they would build these towers and they would use flags to talk from one unit to another one over pretty good distances to call for artillery or, you know, whatever else they were, the message they were trying to deliver. And, hell, the, the maritime community still uses different flags on ships for different things. So that's something you can look at and, you know, kind of get a picture of. So during your planning phase, maybe you want to also come up with some simple nonverbal communication acts, uh, such as like maybe color code or flag system, something similar, armband or something. Uh, Really the sky's the limit. Just remember whatever you come up with, make sure the whole family or group knows the system too. Does you no good to try to communicate somebody with a color flag if the other people don't know what's going on. Communication, Communication is one of the most important things to be proficient at especially during a situation like this. Uh, Just remember that whatever you decide to use, radios, cell phones, dead drops, message in a bottle, carrier pigeons, whatever, make sure you are practicing and getting used, uh, used to the ins and outs of that system. So a couple of things in this cast that we're going to be deep diving into this season are some specific types of radios, for instance, like a particular type of radio its functionality, and everything it does or doesn't do. Um, We're also going to do that cast on tactics. Um, A couple of other things that can be pulled from this cast that we are going to be doing some uh, different cast on specifically. And, you know, not everybody wants to hear a cast about a particular type of radio. That's fine. There's other casts you can listen to on here. Um, And we'll be putting out something a little bit of something for everybody. Thanks for listening to this cast. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe on Spotify. Also, check us out on Facebook at Modern Survivability, Instagram at Modern Survivability 3, and our YouTube channel at Modern Survivability. We post uh, some pretty decent videos on there on certain survival things, and there's going to be more coming out on YouTube. Speed is fast, but accuracy is final. Stay safe. And remember, you are the last line of defense.